had their little baby. There they are sitting back there. Beautiful. Is it Nicholas? Is that right? Gorgeous. Second son this week. How's that for commitment? In church on Sunday, of course. And also, for those of you who didn't know, our um, children's leaders, uh, Romy and Ben, got engaged this week. So I sent, I sent everyone a um, Happy New Year text, and Romy goes, thanks, we love you too. By the way, Ben proposed this morning. I called him, like, are you kidding me? You don't tell me like that. What? What happened? And so she told me the whole low-key story. And so she's probably happy that I'm breaking it to you so she doesn't have to. But make sure that you slip either Beck or Romy a $50 note when you congratulate them this morning on the new stage in their lives. It'll be awesome. Yes, it is anointing Sunday at the end of the service. Um, We're going to be anointing everyone with oil. We do this at the beginning of every year. Um, And you know what? We don't need to do this, but we feel it's like a symbolic thing to do. Just committing our year to the Lord. And um, tonight, Sam's going to be preaching a different type of message for anyone who may feel like they're called to leadership or ministry. So come back tonight for something that's a little bit more targeted about being anointed and and that calling into really that specific form of, of leadership. So here we are, anointing service, and I wanted to share with you out of the book of Luke, if you've got your Bibles, you can flip them open. And I was thinking, so here we are at the beginning of the year, at the beginning of something. And I sort of, I always like to ask myself, well, what would Jesus do? WWJD. And, um, and when he was at the beginning of his ministry, he got up in the temple and read a passage actually about anointing. And so he'd been in the desert and he'd been fasting. And the devil had tempted him He was in the desert fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and he comes out of the desert and goes to the temple, as it says, was his custom. There's a key for some of you. You make it a habit of going to the temple. As was his custom, he was in the temple and he stood up to read and he was given a scroll out of the book of Isaiah and he read out an old prophecy And this is what it says in Luke 4, 14. This is Jesus. Jesus returned to Galilee, powerful in the spirit. He's returning from 40 days of fasting and temptation and resisting the devil. And he's powerful in the spirit. News that he was back spread through the countryside and he taught in their meeting places to everyone's acclaim and pleasure. He came to Nazareth where where he had been reared, as he always did on the Sabbath. And he went to the meeting place. When he stood up to read, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written. God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor, sent me to announce pardon to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the burdened and battered free, to announce this is God's year to act. And the title of my message this morning is, This is God's Year to Act. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the assistant, sat down, every eye in the places on him intent. And he stared at them, you've just heard scripture, make history, it came true just now in this place. And I want to ask you, just like Jesus coming up to a new thing, he's just about to start officially. And the first thing he reads is this proclamation. 
I want to ask you, what are you announcing to your 2016? What are you announcing to your year? What is it that you're declaring over your year? Can I tell you what I'm afraid of for my life? I'm not afraid of failing because I know I'm guaranteed to fail. This year, I'll do it several times. You'll all watch me do it. I'll be humbled by that experience. And it happens often, and I'm not afraid of that because I know it's part of growing and it's a part of learning. And it's a part of the breaking process that is essential for us to be who God wants us to be. What I'm afraid of is standing before you on the 1st of January 2017 and being exactly the same as I am right now. I'm afraid of not growing. I'm afraid of wasting some time this year. I'm afraid of not creating a space where God can show off. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid of being in the same place this time next year as I am right now. And so if it's God's year to act, how do we create a space for God to show off? How do we create that place where I want to plumb the depths of every single day? I want to drain everything out of every moment and every opportunity that God has for me. The fact that heaven allowed me to breathe today means there's something in today that I need to find, figure out, and be diligent with. And I want to get to the end of this year and know that I've moved forward, that I've gone into the direction that God has for my life. And it'll be different to what God has for your life, but I'm afraid of not doing that. And so this year, this morning, I want to ask, how do we be the sort of people who are diligent with every moment? How do you create a space for God to show off? And so I've got three really practical things. If this is God's year to act, how do we create space for him to act? In our lives, I think God limits himself with us. (laughs) We limit the expanse of God's greatness, but we can also be vessels and open channels, rivers, not lakes, rivers of living water where the Spirit flows through us. He chooses to do it that way. And so how do we become those sorts of people? At the beginning of the year, I've got some really practical things. The first point is, put on the anointing. Put it on. This morning, you woke up, and you got out of your pajamas, and you put on your Sunday best. Hopefully, no one is here in their pajamas. You put it on. And when I was a young preacher, I was 19 years old and I was thrown onto platforms in front of thousands of people and I was freaking out. It was something I never, ever wanted to do. And it makes me laugh how many people say, I'm called to preach. I never wanted this. I was always petrified of it. I was, oh, I would agonize for weeks leading up to it, try to find every single excuse. And as a young preacher... I asked someone to speak into my life and he, and he coached me a little bit. He said, you have to see yourself putting it on. You step into it. This is your anointing. This is what you're called to do. Whether you like it or not, that's God's wardrobe choice for you. You actually have to get up and put it on. And it's awesome when you realize that because you can then admit to the fact that it's not your strength, It's God's strength. And you step into this thing. And so I literally had to exercise visualization. 
from the front seat to the pulpit where I would see myself as I climbed the stairs, stepping into the anointing for my life, putting it on as reluctant and afraid as I was. You think I'm bold and I'm confident? Do you know what? I've come to a place where the fear is totally outweighed by the conviction. The fear still exists, but the conviction is greater, and I step into that. I step into the conviction and the anointing that I know is allotted to my life. We have to step into whatever it is God has for us. Um, the King David, King David was this sort of person who was very humble, and he said several times, I am the Lord's anointed. He says in Psalms, I am a portent for many. And I looked up the word portent, and it actually means I'm a sign for many. And actually sounds really, really presumptuous, like self-confident, a little bit arrogant. But the truth is, David had this revelation that he did not belong to the prophet Samuel who anointed him. He belonged to God. He had this revelation that he was God's servant. He had this revelation that no man is in control of my destiny. Hello. I had to come to that place where I felt really discouraged by things that were happening and that were being put over me. And I had to come to a place where I heard the Spirit say to me, Carolina, no man is in control of your destiny. We come to a place where we know I don't belong to a person or a boss, or a family, I am the Lord's anointed. There are people around my life who are my authority, and I honor godly authority, and I honor God's way of structure and doing things, because I know God works through authority, but the truth is, at the end of the day, I am the Lord's anointed. And so I can step into that with confidence, knowing it's not actually me, it's not my boss, it's what God has for me. And I can put it on. I can step into that. Do you know you have your own unique grace over your life? This is a powerful revelation. Because there's a grace, a corporate grace, that says you are saved eternally. Christ died for you for your sins to be forgiven so that you wouldn't have to pay that eternal price. God himself came in flesh and paid a price on your behalf. And that's grace. Grace sets you free eternally. But there's also an individual grace for your life here and now. There's an individual grace, a unique grace for your life. I had to realize this, that it's like being in a river, a current, where you allow yourself to be taken by grace and empowered by grace to achieve what you could not achieve in your own strength. Now, you might be like me, highly capable, driven. You might be skilled, educated. You might be the sort of person that just makes things happen and you can do a lot in your own strength. But I want to tell you that is nothing compared to what you can do if you're in the grace of God for your life. We need to tap into that understanding there is a grace, a unique grace for every single person because God has anointed every single person for a unique and specific purpose. So if he's called you to it, he'll grace you for it. And I look back at my life and I think, I don't know how I did 
what I've done. I don't know how we've walked through the doors we've walked through, except the fact that I have a unique grace over my life that I choose to trust in, that I choose to lean into. And so this year, if you want to create a space for God to show off, you need to tap into that unique grace that is just for you. And the capacity that you have in that place is enormous. You will lie in bed at night and go, how on earth did we pull that off? And it's because you've tapped into something of the supernatural. God is much bigger than your gift sets. He has given you your gift sets. He's given you your calling. But if you tap into the grace of God, it'll just go to a whole other level. There's like a supernatural synergy that takes place when we tap into the grace of God for our lives. And I just want to show you a little contrast as I was thinking about this. The difference between striving and grace. Um, Small capacity. Striving is a limited capacity. You only have 100% capacity. That's it. We all have a capacity in the natural. And that's limited. And when we work out of that place, we strive. And we do it in our own strength. And striving is a very exhausting place to live. Yes, you can accomplish a lot, but it's tiring. There is a whole other capacity for you, and that is grace. A whole other place that you cannot manufacture on your own. You tap into by the Spirit of God. Your anointed capacity. There's your natural gift set capacity, which is small. It's limited. Or there's the unlimited anointed capacity that you can tap into this year. And I want to just contrast a few things. In our thinking, small natural capacity tends to lead to a place of anxiety. Where you're trying to figure everything out, you come into stress, you come into anxiety, you lie awake at night. Small thinking creates that because it's dependent on ourselves. And so we have to figure it all out ourselves. As opposed to faith in the anointed capacity where you are trusting, where you're just stepping into, I don't know how this is going to work, but if God said it, I'm just going to walk this through. I'm just having faith. And you know what? This is God's problem. I can sleep at night because it's God's problem. He signed me up for this. It's his problem. He can fix it. He can sort it. I'm just going to walk every day in faith and in trust. Um, Tim Hughes a few weeks ago made this profound statement. That worry is a trust issue. If you're worried about anything today, I'm telling you right now, you don't trust God in that scenario. You've taken that out of God's hands and you don't trust him in it. Are you happy I burst that bubble for you today? (laughs) Faith is the opposite of anxiety. The other contrast in the two is acts or works, we like to call it. But because I'm doing all A's and all F's, it was acts. So acts, (laughs) when we fall into works, when we fall into I just have to meet a checklist and the checklist is our master and we're driven by works and deeds and am I doing this right and is it perfect? And for me, this is, I'm my own worst enemy. I have, on the top of my checklist is write a checklist. Like, I'm that sort of person. I do lists and lists and lists, and, and that's the sort of person that I am. Some of you may be like that. Some of you are like, what? Um, that would be Sam. Anyway, uh, so 
we fall into this trap of works and acts and, and we, we whip ourselves and we push ourselves and that's just ugly, right? So the flip side of it is, and how freeing is this? Fruit. Fruit. I have realized that I can be busy doing a lot of unfruitful things. When our motivation is life, when a tree is alive, it bears fruit. And so you need to measure your life on the fruit around it. And if what you're doing is not bearing fruit, is it just works? Is it just deeds? And there's a difference in that capacity. Can you see that? Because fruit requires a life source. Acts really doesn't. You can just do it. But fruit requires you are planted in something. You are drawing from somewhere. And it's beyond you. You're receiving from something. You are being nurtured by something external from yourself. And without that source, you die. And so there's a big difference in those two capacities. And the last one, in just comparing these two, is a small striving capacity always achieves average. At the end of the day, it's average because it's limited. It's, it can be mediocre. So it can actually be, you know, sometimes we're driven by acts and checklists. Some other people are just lazy and mediocre. And so we can have this capacity that's decreased by average. But you know what? In grace capacity is favor. And favor is always excellent. Isn't it? Favor is that sort of thing where you sit at the end of the day and go, wow, that's better than I expected it to be. That's favor. That happens to me all the time. Can I be honest? Christmas production? I went home and I didn't sleep for the simple fact of that was like a gazillion times better than I expected it to be. But that's grace. That's the favor of God. When we step, step into that thing, and I know the whole team are the same. God, we're giving our best, and we know you'll make up the, dis- the difference. We give what we can in faith and with vision, and stepping into that grace. We're not professionals, but the one comment that I heard over and over and over again was how professional it was. And I'm going, <laughs> Hello. Do I have any friends? Like anyone else? Yeah, needy. Thank you. (laughs) It was brilliant. Favor is always excellent. Because God doesn't do things in half measures. He always goes over and above. Always. I can promise you, you step into grace and you will walk in the excellence and the favor of God. He does not do half measures. He will blow your head off with how favor will just bring excellence into your life. And that's grace. That's grace. But you know, both require work. And work is not bad. It's the motivation of the work that makes a difference. So Matthew 12, it says, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real real rest. Listen to this. Walk with me and... Sorry, what? Walk with me and... What? Sorry? 
Walk with me and what? Don't sit on your hide and do nothing. That's not restful. I know a lot of people who do nothing and they're still exhausted. Is that true? Walk with me and what? Work with me. It's not about not working. It's about the motivation of your work. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Hello, if a man could go to a cross, I'm pretty sure that's a bit bigger than anything you're facing tomorrow. Watch how I do it. The grace I step into for it. You'll learn, I love this, you'll learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live life freely and lightly. Isn't that awesome? It's just so awesome. I love that passage. So number one, put on your anointing. Step into it this year. Step into it. The place God's got you. The things he has for you right now. Step into that. Step into it. Put it on and watch him show off in it. Number two, set your priorities. Don't rewrite the book. Just do what you know is right. You know, by human nature, often we're distracted by the next shiny thing. <laughs> like we want the next book called Seven Steps to Success. Don't rewrite the book. Don't go looking for the next fad. Just do what you know is right. What are your priorities? What are your priorities? Jesus wasn't rewriting the book. Do you notice? He could have. He was the word of God. He could have stood up and delivered something. He was the word of God in flesh. But he didn't. He read out of an old manuscript. We don't have to rewrite the book. We just do what we know is right. And so here he is. He says, you know what? These are my priorities. To preach the message of the good news to set the captives free, to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. These are the things I'm called to do. I'm not making anything new up. There is nothing new under the sun, everybody. It's all rehashed, but we've just got to tap into what we know is right. His calling was clear, his vision was clear, and a clarity of vision demands that you set priorities. A conviction eliminates excuses. Living resolutely by convictions is what will empower you. I've been on this little journey in the last half of last year, realizing something. Options shrink your capacity. I've been watching people with options, and they take every option, and it's one option this week, and it's that option next week, and their lives end up being completely watered down and diluted. But priorities set you up for greatness. One question I get asked all the time is, how do you balance everything? You have four children, you run a church, you speak around the place, you do all these sorts of things, you write, blah, blah, blah. I get asked that all the time. How do you balance everything? And that is probably the most common question I get asked. And so I really struggled to answer it because I'm the most unbalanced person in the world. I'm completely out of balance. I don't, I don't know. But when I sat down and actually thought about it, I thought, did Mother Teresa live a balanced life? Does an Olympian live a balanced life? 
do they spend the same amount of time training as they do on Instagram? Do they spend the same amount of time with their loved ones as they do at the movies? Because balance actually means that every part of your life gets an equal share. And I've realized it is impossible to live a life that makes a difference and to have balance. Mother Teresa, was Jesus balanced? No. Olympians are not balanced. Missionaries are not balanced. You know, people who actually achieve anything out of their lives have priorities. And they're governed by their priorities and by their convictions. And they live resolutely according to that. And when you know what you're convicted about, the excuses fade away, the options fade away. If you choose options, you're choosing mediocrity. Choose priorities. Set your convictions. Find out what you're convicted about and set some priorities and live resolutely according to those priorities. We cannot. I've decided that balance is just like perfectionism. It promises all these things and it never delivers because it's impossible. And actually, if you do manage to achieve balance, I'd like to see you because that's pretty amazing. But I have a sneaking suspicion you'd be doing a lot of things very, very average in measure. But live by priorities and you'll be making a difference with your life. Amen? Amen. What are your priorities? I just want to throw this in there as well. What you do, what you do in um, a small measure, what's the word? What you do, what's the word? In moderation, your children will do in extremes. Just be careful. Just be careful. What are your convictions? Set some priorities and live resolutely, unapologetically, and compelled by them. Amen? And finally, be fully present. If we're going to create a space for God to show off in our lives, we need to be fully present. Fully present. Jesus was fully present. He was always surrounded by crowds of people, wasn't he? And yet somehow saw the individual every time. He saw the one and ministered to the one in the midst of the crowd. He was fully present. Fully present for the crowd and fully present for the one. He was focused on eternal possibilities. And you and I need to go into every moment and every setting with eyes open to see what has heaven lined up for you right now. Right now, you've come to church. What has heaven lined up for you right now? You'll go back to work maybe this week. And in that place, what have the angels orchestrated for you to walk into? And are you so driven by a list that you fail to see that? Because this is where fruit comes in. Is if I'm fully present, I'm fruitful. But if I'm just living according to a list or a job or a job description, I'm going to just be doing a task. I'm going to be blinded by heaven's opportunities for that moment. Be fully present. Before God can move through us, he has to move in us. Start where you are right now. Be diligent with what's in your hand right now. Stop looking ahead 
to the great ministry, the great job, the CEO you're going to be one day, and be diligent right now with what's in your hand and what's in your heart. God needs to move in you before he can move through you. Plumb the depths of every single opportunity. I was thinking about this and I was thinking about different things that have happened and my mum was telling me that she, um, that across the road a new family moved in, across the road from her and, and they had moved here from China. No family, no friends and somehow I guess they were both pulling the wheelie bin out or something and they got talking and mum found out their story so she just took a hamper over them and just would wave at them and maybe cross the street every now and again and at Christmas time this year they brought them this elaborate uh, hamper the neighbours did to my mum and brought it over and she sat in my mum's living room and said um, basically along the lines of the hamper you gave me stopped me from ending my life that day. And I was thinking about um, a few years ago, we were uh, at Wellington Point with our two girls. We just had the two girls at the time. And it was raining and we had planned to go on this day to go to Wellington Point at the playground, have fish and chips, but it was raining. So we kind of we're delaying it all day. And then it got to about 2 o'clock and Sam and I were like, we're just going to go, rain, hail or shine, or else we're just going to spend the whole day at home and have done nothing with our day off. So we went and, um, you know, having planned originally to go at 10 a.m., we ended up there at 3. And we got there and Sam was with the girls on the playground. I went across to get fish and chips. I was holding my number and sitting at the table. And this voice behind me says, excuse me, do you go to City Point Church? I turned around, it was a young woman, and I said, yeah, I do, and she burst into tears. And I turned around, and I walked over to her, and I'm like, can I sit here? And she's like sobbing, <laughs> like shoulders heaving, and it was the big ugly cry. And so I sat down with her awkwardly, what's up? And she told me about how her and her husband were worship pastors at a church, and um, she'd been doing certain things that had compromised their marriage and he had just found out the night before and this was Monday and he had just found out Monday afternoon and he put her out and um, she went to work on Monday morning and obviously a mess her boss sent her home at 2 p.m. she ended up at Wellington Point I wonder if I'd got there at 10 a.m. But I got there at three and she said to me, you know, I was at church last night. I came to your church and I saw you on the platform and I said, God, if you're even real, our worship pastor, if you're even real, that girl will talk to me. And I came looking for you after the service and I couldn't find you and that was it. That was it. I was done. Done with God. I can't believe you're here waiting for fish and chips today. Um, a few weeks ago, well, and the story with that girl is I said to her, well, God's obviously got your number and you're not getting away with this. So you're sitting next to me every week, every service until you get your life sorted out. You know better than this. We're getting this together. And so for six months, she was estranged from her husband, would sit with me three services on a Sunday and did this journey with me. And um, they're great now. This was years ago. They're back together. 
back in ministry doing amazing, amazing things with their lives. But a few weeks ago, um, I was walking to Suncorp Stadium to see Taylor Swift. And... (laughs) You're just jealous, all right? She was amazing. (laughs) Um, And we're walking with thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people. Esther was there, and we're walking, and we walk past a bus stop, and I see this lady out of the corner of my eye sitting in the bus stop, sobbing. And we keep walking, and I instantly felt sick in my stomach. How dare you walk past her? Oh, honestly, I feel that feeling right now, just the thought of how dare you walk past her. And I turn around, and I went back, (laughs) sit next to her, what's up and she goes nothing nothing keeps crying I'm like "Uh, don't tell me nothing's wrong like you're crying in a public bus stop and she actually looks at me like this chick's not going away and so she just started to tell me about she just finished a day at work and she's a single mum two twin six-year-old boys and she goes you know sometimes you just need to cry I'm like preach it (laughs) preach it and um and she's just saying nothing's really wrong except everything's wrong at the same time I guess I'm just overwhelmed and I just need to cry and I said well you know what hundreds of people have walked past you today but I've stopped to tell you I'm sure you're doing an amazing job with your boys I'm sure you're a great employee and no matter what's going on in your life I'm telling you you're amazing. Just burst into tears again. And she said this to me, who are you? Who are you that you would stop and ask me how I am? And I realized when I was writing this and I was writing these examples, how sad it is that this is the exception and not the norm. How sad is that? That I'm actually telling you these as examples. Like this should not even need to be said. But we live in a day, hello, where, where we're told, just mind your own business. It's someone else's problem. Don't get involved. Don't stick your nose in. I'm telling you, stick your nose in. Yeah. Find your humanity again. Love on someone. Yeah. Now that I have seen, I am responsible. Yeah. It's not someone else's responsibility. If you've seen it, it's your responsibility. It's not some up to someone else. You know, why don't we be the sort of Christians who actually reach out this year and we don't have to pray and lay hands on every single person unless you're called to do that. You know what? All she needed to hear was, you are amazing and you're doing a great job. And she was, it changed everything about her demeanor. She's like, thank you. Sometimes that's all it takes. But imagine like a revolution of kindness where we actually notice people, where we're fully present in the fact that God may have asked me to walk past that bus stop just to tell her she's doing a good job. Every single opportunity, stop, see, walk slowly enough and with your eyes open to see heaven moving for someone else's life. And be that person. If you want a year where God will show off, come on. Put on your anointing. Step boldly into what God has for you. 
Set some priorities because God can't show off in a watered-down, diluted life and be fully present. Amen? Amen. Let me pray over you this morning. Father God, I thank you for a new beginning. The Word says you crown the year with glory.